Now, Connect FM Sports puts every play under review with Bob Anderson, Dave Glass, and Dave Herzing. The Ravens brought back Lamar Jackson in the offseason, but did they do enough around him to contend? We'll continue our tour of the AFC North by bringing in Brian Wacker, who covers the team for the Baltimore Sun. The Vegas Golden Knights are Stanley Cup champions. How did they go from expansion team to the top of the NHL in only six years? And should hockey fans really be bothered by it? We'll provide our thoughts. The PGA Tour and LIV Golf shocked everyone by announcing a merger last week. What does it mean for the future of golf? We'll talk to Jerry Dulac, the host of the golf show on ESPN Radio, to try to make some sense of it. I'm Dave Glass. I'm Bob Anderson. And I'm Dave Herzen. Stay tuned as we discuss these topics and more as we go... Under Review. On Connect FM, your only local news radio. And we're back. It's good to have the gang back together again. D, glad you're back in the saddle. Being back is the best. I love it. Glad to be back. And Dave, I'm glad you got your voice back. Yeah, I, I was a little worried. You know, last week we did the show and it was fine. And the next morning I woke up, I couldn't talk. I'm like, man, that timing was good. <laughs> well, I'll say it would have been me by myself. Uh, so, similar to Stan Savern, who we were talking about prior to coming on the air. We'll get to him here in a little bit. We're sad about his loss. But uh, before we do that, we're going to get into our tour of the AFC North again today. Uh, I wanted to get your reaction, guys, to something that Colin Coward said on his show last week. So let me see if I can cue this up. Take a listen Ooh, to... we have a new feature. Well, let's see if it works here. This is what I say. They can't fix their own line. Either can Pittsburgh. What do they have in common? A defensive coach. Do you know the four teams in the league that lead the NFL in spending money on their defensive side? Chargers, Bills, Seahawks, Steelers, all four defensive coaches. Last five years, they're 6-12 and 12 in the playoffs. Eight years, they've missed the playoffs completely. For the record, Kansas City a couple years ago scored 42 on that great Sean McDermott defense. So when I put my NFL Super Bowl teams in the bubble, there's a reason it's mostly offensive coaches. A San Francisco, a Philadelphia, a Cincinnati, a Kansas City. I mean, we don't think Tua is a great quarterback, right? Like He's hurt a lot. He's small. He's not super athletic. That division has three defensive coaches and one offensive coach. And Tua is 7-4 and four against the division, never lost to Belichick 4-0. So the one time the Buffalo Bills really spent money on offense, Stephon Diggs, I went and looked at the numbers this morning. The following year, Josh Allen had 107 passer rating, the most touchdown passes, and completed 69%. Let's sign another defensive lineman. Steelers, Seahawks, Chargers, Bills. All right, so uh, the old adage is the defense wins championships, but say what you will about Colin Coward. You know, he's on to, maybe he's on to something here. He gets you thinking anyhow. What do you guys think to that? What's your reaction? Well, I mean, if you don't have a premier quarterback, you know, and I'm talking like a premier elite quarterback like a Mahomes or, you know, what Hurts appears to be becoming, then you've got to build with, with defense more than that. And, and Pittsburgh, I think, as much as you might like Kenny Pickett's potential, and I do, I don't think he's ever going to be that. So you're, you, can't, you can't Mahomes your way to a title with, with a guy who's probably going to be a top 15 quarterback. And... You know, this whole defensive coach, you know, Belichick 
How many Super Bowls did he win? So I'm not sure I really buy into the idea that you have to be an offensive coach to win a Super Bowl. Andy Reid, how many years was it Andy Reid can't win the big one? Andy Reid can't manage play clock, you know, you know, game situations. So this stuff comes and goes. Um, I think there's legitimate criticisms of, of Tomlin and, and the way the Steelers have handled things over the last four or five years, but I, I don't look at it in those kind of broad strokes. Yeah, I mean, you look at what Kansas City's doing, what Philadelphia did. Philadelphia had an incredible defense, though, as well. Um, Kansas City, though, they just have a transcendent once-in-a-generation quarterback that's doing things that other quarterbacks simply can't do. So, you know, his Colin Coward, I listen to him a lot. His viewpoint can be more skewed towards the sensationalism. Obviously, he wants people to listen to his show, and his, his, his opinions are very strong. But the Steelers, to your point, Dave, they do have to build with some level of defense because they don't have – Kenny Pickett is not a dominant quarterback yet. Joe Burrow is the class of the AFC North. Um, there's a lot of pundits picking the, the Bengals to win the Super Bowl this year, some p- picking him to go up against the 49ers, some against the Eagles. I mean, the Steelers are going to have a lot of work to do if they're going to clear the way and get Burrow out of there. And defense is going to have to be the answer. Yeah, the last four teams to win the Super Bowl were Kansas City, the Rams, Tampa Bay, and Kansas City. Uh, last year, the Chiefs led the league in points per game at 29.2 points. The Eagles were second at 29.1. 2021, the Rams were sixth in points per game, 27 points a game. 2020, Tampa Bay was second with 30.8. 2019, the Chiefs were second at 29.9. So, you know, it is an offensive league. The the um, roles are tailored to the offense now. So maybe it does get you thinking, but I'm with you guys. When you have red paint, as Mike Tomlin says, you paint the barn red. Well, that's that's just it. And yeah, look, you can't win. I agree in in that if you have a bad quarterback or a bad below average offense, you have almost no chance to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to say no chance. You could get on some kind of a lucky streak in the playoffs, but it's not the way I would build a team to get there for sure. But you can't, I mean... There were years Kansas City hasn't won it, and it's normally because their defense can't stop anyone. And those years where they really just couldn't get any pressure and it became, you know, just an up and down down the field scenario, they, they struggle. And I, I still think balance is the key. You know, when the Rams won it and when Tampa Bay won it, yes, they had pretty good offenses, especially, you know, they Brady and all that. But those defenses were really good on those teams. So it wasn't just one side or the other. You know, when uh, when Brian Wacker comes on here from the Baltimore Sun. We hope. Yeah, we hope. One thing I'm going to ask him is uh, what his thoughts are on the Ravens addressing just that, the idea of putting a high-powered offense first. They were a run-first offense the past three years, obviously because they had Lamar Jackson. When he's healthy, he's, he's the single greatest running quarterback possibly that we've ever seen, but he's not healthy. You look at what they did last year. They, you look at what they did the previous year. They were like eight and four and seven, whatever. He got hurt. And then that was the end of their season. Um, they've drafted a lot of receiver. They drafted a receiver. Uh, I forget the guy, Zay, something. Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers. Um, they brought in OBJ, um, uh, Aguilar, and then they have a new offensive coordinator. So, I mean, it's, I, I think they're, I think they're going to be pretty good. But but let's let's also look, you know, you talk about coaches. John Harbaugh has always been a defense first, con, kind of conservative on offense coach. What, what's the last time that they developed, and I'm saying developed, a star wide receiver? You can't hardly think of it. They, they've developed tons of great defensive players, and it's worked for them. That's not a criticism of John Harbaugh. They are competitive year in and year out. 
Yeah, well, it's funny because you, you say that you think of them as a defense first team. They're actually 24th in spending coming into this season on the defensive side of the ball. They're fourth in spending on the offensive side. It's really a flip of what you would think. So maybe it's a change of philosophy. I don't know. Or maybe just their defensive players are younger. But how do I you think guys? That's more it. Yeah. How do you guys see the rest of the division stacking up? We we both Dave and I were here last week when we talked to the Bengals guest. We both see the Bengals as the as the premier team. But how do we see the rest of the division shaping up? I'm, I'm going to let you take this, D, because we talked about this a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, the Browns are going to be the Browns. I'll I'll have fun with them first. <laughs> They'll be lucky nine and eight, I'd say, and I'm being generous. That's only because of Watson. Uh, that contract is going to be an albatross on that on that franchise for some time. What I wanted to talk about with the Cleveland Browns is, did you guys see their new logo? Oh, yes, I did see did that. Did you see all of the elements of the logo? I didn't study so, it in any, depth. If you're out there listening, while you're listening to this, I want you to look at their logo, and it's it's on Twitter, it's on their page. Um, there's there's a bunch of different elements that you look at in in the uh, the dog from the dog pound. It Ohio is in the right ear of the dog. There's a football on the nose. The east end zone uh, is outlined. It's highlighted of the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. There's a guitar pick for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the center of the tag. There's a helmet stripe in the center because of the Browns helmet. The left ear is the old dog pound helmet. I don't know what that is. I actually had to look that up. Um, And then there's the Guardian Bridge outlined in the... uh, uh, dogs jowls and then there's eight spikes on the collar for the eight championships air quotes that the browns have from the 40s and the 50s so it's actually pretty interesting that's probably the best that the browns are going to do this year so there's my prediction <laughs> so i i just have two things to say about that uh, one whoever designed that logo had too much time on their hands yes. and number two so did you that you figured all that stuff well, out yeah absolutely <laughs> So how about the Steelers? Do you guys think that they're going to get – I mean, we'll do our game-by-game prediction here later this summer, but do you guys see them as being maybe a contender in the AFC North? You know, they got hot last year, Bob. Um, Anything's possible. They won, what, seven of their last eight games. I mean, I could could see 11-6, and best-case scenario. Um, If it's all going to – if they split with the Bengals, that's going to be a good sign. If they can split and beat Joe Burrow once – They'll be they'll be okay because they're going to sweep the Browns and they're they mm-hmm. never yeah, yeah you're right you division know. opponents but they start out with the 49ers yeah but at least they get them at home yes so that's a good thing. It, it's the schedule is favorable and that's their best bet schedule is everything all right when we return we'll be joined by Brian Wacker of the Baltimore Sun to give us a more in depth look at the 2023 Ravens stay tuned as we continue under review on Connect FM 1982. Exmark has been dedicated to building the world's finest mowers. These mowers provide you with a quality of cut that seems impossible, dependability you measure in lifetimes, and an operator experience like none other. Because Exmark believes if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Visit Dunlop Lawn and Garden in Dubois or Brookville to discover a one-of-a-kind ownership experience and see the difference for yourself. Smith Timbering and Consultants are experts at tree management and are looking for an energetic, reliable individual to join their team. They currently have an excellent opportunity for a full-time forestry technician to buy, mark, and cruise standing timber. They offer competitive pay with bonus incentives, health incentives, health insurance, and company vehicle. Associate's degree or higher in forestry required. Please email your resume or questions to Wes at smithtimbering.com. That's Wes at smithtimbering.com. 
Now, let's go back to Under Review on Connect FM. Here again, Bob Anderson, Dave Glass, and Dave Herzing. Welcome back to Under Review. I'm Bob Anderson, and they are Dave Glass and Dave Herzing. We're spending the month of June previewing the AFC North, and last week we looked at the Bengals. You can always find our episodes on the Connect FM website and go back and listen to those. But this week we're going to dive into the Ravens, and we're pleased to be joined by Brian Wacker, who covers the team for the Baltimore Sun. Welcome aboard, Brian. How are you? Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you coming on. So we talked uh, um, throughout the offseason here about Lamar Jackson and, and the um, contract and, and the signing of ODB in the last, uh, you know, part of the offseason. But uh, what other news did the Ravens make this offseason? Well, mostly, of course, the biggest splash they made was in the area that needed it the most, wide receivers. They of course, remade that entire group, brought in Odell Beckham, uh, drafted Dave Flowers, brought in uh, veteran Nelson Aguilar, uh, recently even brought in veteran Laquan Treadwell. So, you know, a group that's been in their seeding three of the last four years in the NFL, uh, now it's a position of strength, really. And, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with those guys that they brought in and uh, certainly, there's a connection with Lamar Jackson and Odell Beckham. Um, you know, you've got Rashad Bateman healthy again. Uh, at least that's the expectation or hope uh, that he'll be ready to go come September. And so now you've got probably one of the stronger receiving groups in the NFL if everybody's healthy. Um, you know, this is an offense Lamar Jackson joked about throwing for 6,000 yards, and, uh, you know, I don't think he'll quite get there, but certainly four or 5,000. I mean, Todd Munkin, obviously, uh, as mentioned, is, you know, is a huge addition. I think we're going to see a more dynamic offense. We've already seen it throughout the voluntary OTAs and uh, this week through the three-day mandatory mini camp. But, uh, you know, there are still some questions. Cornerback, um, I think, is, is a little thin there, particularly – uh, in the nickel spot, um, you know, so there's there's some questions in the defensive backfield along those lines. Running backs, we haven't seen J.K. Dobbins uh, on the field yet. He had a bit of a soft tissue issue this week, so he has yet to participate uh, in on-field um, practice. Uh, you know, but you've got him and Gus Edwards, the top two backs on the team. Both guys were prominent last year, but I think, you know, there's probably some long-term health concerns with those two, both of whom have an injury history. So we're used to the Ravens being kind of a power run team. Do you think that they're going to go away from that a little bit this year and maybe let Lamar Jackson throw a little bit more? Well, that's I think that's the expectation and the hope. That said, look, I, I still expect this team to run the football quite a bit. That's just in their DNA. Uh, and Todd Munkin's a guy, frankly, if you look back at, his time in Georgia, you know, they ran the ball quite a lot. Um, that said, I think we will see more screens. We'll see some underneath stuff. We'll see things like reverses. Uh, I think we'll see more shots maybe downfield than we have in the past. Uh, Lamar Jackson uh, is a guy who likes to operate between the numbers, but, you know, at least so far, I think what we've seen is 
more passes to the outside in that intermediate and even long range. So uh, I, I do think you will see a more dynamic and explosive offense, assuming everyone's healthy, because let's face it, that's what they need to do to keep up with teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, and of course the Cincinnati Bengals in their own division. Yeah, you, you make a great point. You kind of lead into where I was going with this. I mean, um, the, the Ravens last year were second in the AFC in points allowed, but well back of the leaders in, in points four. And so we were actually talking on the segment right before you came on about what can you win with a defense first um, mentality and, and kind of philosophy. And do you think this is really a, a, a change, not just for Coach Harbaugh, but in terms of the way the franchise is going about their business? They want to be more of an offense first team? I mean, I think you have to. And if you look at John Harbaugh's career, this is nothing new. This is a guy uh, who's been adaptable his whole career. And you can go back to when he switched to Lamar Jackson, his rookie season. Um, makes the change, of course, and then even that year staying with him uh, in the playoff game against uh, the Chargers where he was having a terrible game and he decided to stay with him. Uh, I think that won a lot of trust with Lamar, and of course the following year he goes out and has an MVP season. And look, he's had some injury issues, um, but I think if you look at it, at least on paper, this is the most talented group of players he's ever had around him in his five years at Baltimore. So to me, this is, this is John Harbaugh, you know, one of the best coaches, certainly the top two, three, uh, four coaches in the NFL adapting, you know, looking at the landscape and realizing, you know, if you're not evolving, you're devolving. Well, and you bring up coach Harbaugh and I wanted to talk a little bit about him. Obviously, we're in Steeler country here. The Steelers and the Ravens have a long history of, of, you know, the fans not really liking the other team. And, you know, so the average fan may be kind of down on Coach Hobart, but I, I, kind of, I tend to agree with you that he is certainly a top five NFL coach, and he's proven that. But how, do you think because they've had less top-level success recently, are, are the, you tell us, how are the Baltimore fans reacting? Are, are they still behind Coach Harbaugh? I think certainly. I mean, look. It's been 10 years since he won the Super Bowl, but he did win a Super Bowl. Um, not a lot of guys can say that. This guy's the third longest tenured coach in the NFL between Bill Belichick, uh, behind Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin. So, uh, look, I, I think um, the fans are, are very happy, especially since it's a team that's been made over quite a bit, not just on the offensive side of the ball, but with coordinator, uh, new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, as mentioned, there have been other changes. Uh, I think the addition of out, uh, outside linebackers, Coach Chuck Smith, for example, is going to have a great impact on some young pass rushers that they have. And I know there's big uh, expectation there. So, um, look, I think if you look at the moves that John has made, whether it's bringing in other players, drafting, of course, a guy like Zay Flowers, uh, drafting a guy like Trenton Simpson, um, you know, I think he, uh, the Clemson inside linebacker, that's a guy who's going to be contributor year one. Um, so I, I don't think there's, you know, there's a whole lot to criticize about John Harbaugh right now. And, of course, the fact that they were able to get the deal done and get the extension done with Lamar Jackson and get him into camp and get him learning this new offense, I think 
played a major role. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, Todd Monk, and uh, in his, uh, they, they were asking him in a presser here just just today, I guess, about um, cohesion of the receivers and Lamar Jackson. Uh, he said this is a world of iPads. Um, do you think that was directed at anybody in particular, or do you think he was just generalizing, basically saying that these guys can figure it out on their own? Well, I think a little bit of both, right? Certainly, look, all these coaches would like every player in and participating as much as they possibly can. That's just the nature of being a coach. Um, that said, look, a, a guy like Odell Beckham, look, he's going into his ninth season, tenth year in the NFL. He's a former All-Pro. You know, you've got a guy like Mark Andrews, a tight end, another All-Pro. He's been in camp. Um, you know, you got Lamar Jackson in camp. These guys are veterans. They've, you know, at this point, mid-June, um, I don't think there's a whole lot of concern. Um, look, certainly I think there was maybe some messaging out there, some, some uh, not-so-veiled messaging by the coaching staff to get Lamar in, who you know hadn't really shown up at the start of uh, the OTAs, but then did show up and has been there. So, um, look, I, I just don't think at mid-June it's a huge issue. Um, you certainly, in today's NFL, Everything is geared toward training camp and being, uh, you know, really narrowing the focus just the way it is. Um, I don't think it's a huge concern, though. Yeah, Lamar, actually, it's good that he's there. He said that Munkin's uh, spread offense is going to give him more what he quoted as saying is free will. Uh, with that said, you know, you guys the past couple years over there in Baltimore, uh, 2021 and 2022, you guys were cruising with him before he was injured, and then he got injured and the wheels kind of came off the wagon. Do you think they're, you know, Harbaugh is going to maybe limit the free will as it relates to his style of play, uh, maybe protect him a, a little more? Because with him back there, you know, the Ravens are going to go as Lamar goes. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I don't think you're going to see um, the Ravens necessarily try to limit Lamar in that standpoint because let's face it he's a major major weapon uh as a runner and I I don't think they're going to want to take that away from him that said look they've got other guys they can spread it out they can get the ball out to Zay Flowers for example who's terrific in open space we've seen it already with some of his route running um in in uh mini camps but you know this is a team that I think is still, to your point, going to go as Lamar goes. And I don't see them really taking that away. I think another point you have to remember is that, you know, for the last two and a half years, they've been without left tackle Ronnie Stanley. Great point. He's now finally healthy. And, you know, if you remember, you go back to 2019, Stanley's an all-pro. Well, that's the year that Lamar wins MVP. So uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, you know, it's, it, I think having a, a healthy left tackle, figuring out who your left guard is going to be, um, those are important things when it comes to protecting your quarterback. And if they can keep Lamar healthy, I, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't have a big year. Brian, well, last one for you, and we appreciate you taking the time for us. How do you see the rest of the division stacking up this year? We asked our guests last week to predict. Um, we want to get your take. How do you see the order of finish in the AFC North? Well, look, until somebody knocks them off, right, it, you have to start with Cincinnati. Um, you know, they're going to be right there, again, not just for the division, but a Super Bowl contender. I think certainly the Ravens, 
if healthy, again, that's a big if, uh, if everyone's healthy, um, I think they're right there with Cincinnati. Um, they've seen it, you know, last year, the second half of the season, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Now, look, they lost Calais Campbell uh, and they lost um, uh, Justin Houston to free agency. They may bring Houston back. They bring, might bring another veteran edge rusher in to help put pressure on the other team's quarterback. But this is a team that, you know, Mike McDonald is a fantastic defensive coordinator now in year two. Um, rest of the division, look, Pittsburgh, I think, is a dangerous team. They've got some offensive weapons, of course, with Kenny Pickett and the young wide receiver group. Uh, they're going to be better. They strengthen their cornerback position. So, to me, those are, the, of course, the Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, that, that's a team, again, Sean Watson, another year in the system, full year, more weapons around him. Um, I think those they're going to be dangerous opponents. And, you know, you look at that schedule in that final week of the season, Pittsburgh traveling to Baltimore, that could be a very meaningful game uh, for one, if not both teams. All right, you can check out his work at BrianWacker1 on Twitter. Brian, thanks again for taking the time. You got it. Anytime. Here's your Connect FM Tri-County forecast. Mainly clear skies tonight with lows around 48. Westerly winds 8 to 15 miles per hour. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow. Slight chance for isolated storms. High temperatures reach up to 74. Scattered thunderstorms likely tomorrow night. Lows around 54. Cloudy skies. That's your Tri-County forecast throughout the hour, throughout your busy day on Connect FM. Currently, it's 62. Carlson Auto Repair is a locally family-owned and operated business that serves you, their customer, like you're one of the family. Carlson Auto Repair genuinely cares about the folks who come to see them for mechanical and auto body work. They don't do anything that isn't needed, and they do the repairs at an affordable rate. If you need auto repair inspections or collision work, get it done right and reasonably at Carlson Auto Repair, where they know you and they know your vehicle. 100 East Park Avenue, Dubois. Hi friends, this is Tom from Dutch Pantry. I wanted to take this moment to both thank God for his many blessings and to thank everybody from our surrounding communities for your continued support. Dutch Pantry has been serving wholesome quality meals and a variety of country favorites in the Dubois area. And when it comes to desserts, we have fresh baked pies, hot fudge cake, apple fritter sundaes, all delicious classics. So once again, thank you for allowing us to be part of your family dining experience. Dutch Pantry Family Restaurant, open daily 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Route 219 North, I-80, exit 97, Dubois. Steeple Furniture of Rockton is your one-stop shop for furniture, mattresses, and flooring. We carry the best brands for the best prices. Stop in today. We'd love to see you. Steeple Furniture of Rockton. You'll love our prices, selection, and free local delivery. We're big. You'll find us. We're just five miles from the Dubois Mall in beautiful downtown Rockton, Pennsylvania. you love our prices at Steeple Furniture. Steeple Furniture of Rockton. Keeping your eye on the ball is the key to playing sports well. Let Wise Eyes coach you into sturdy shatter and contact-resistant eyewear. Whether your child plays sports... You love extreme sports or you work in hazardous construction zones. You need sharp vision while protecting your eyes. Dr. Lineski is a leader in clinical eye care and takes the time to explain your eye test results. Proud to support local sports programs, Wise Eyes has served our community for over 20 years. Commons Drive to Boys and at MyWiseEyes.com. 
I'm Dan Kennard, and it is time for this week's Connect FM Local Youth Sports Beat, sponsored by Dr. Greg Lineski and Wise Eyes at the Dubois Commons. This edition of the Local Youth Sports Beat on Connect FM is exclusively PIAA Baseball Playoffs. Back on Thursday, June the 8th, the Class 3A quarterfinal round was played. The Punxsutawney Chucks advanced with a 6-1 win over Phillipsburg Osceola of District 6. Nevin Day in that game allowed just one run in six and two-thirds innings of work, and the Chucks scored four runs in the fourth inning to claim that victory and advance in the playoffs. Also, last Thursday, June the 8th, Dubois Central Catholics Cardinals advanced in the Class 1A quarterfinal round round with a 9-7 win over Greenwood. The Cardinals faced an early 5-0 deficit, and they were also down 7-3 late in the game. Dubois Central Catholic scored six runs in the bottom of the sixth inning to stun the District 3 champ Greenwood. 9-7, that game was played in Altoona. Then on Monday this week, the season for the Punxsutawney Chucks came to an end as Riverside rallied for an 8-5 win in the PIAA Class 3A semifinals. The District 9 champion Chucks finished the year at 20-3. They put up three runs in the first inning and led 3-0 until the fifth inning when Riverside tied the game and the Whitfield champs then scored five more runs in the sixth to take control of the match. For Punxsutawney, it was the most wins in a season in program history, and it was back-to-back appearances in the PIAA semifinal round. Yesterday, the Class 1A Baseball Championship was set, and the Class 1A Baseball Champion of the PIAA is going to be a District 9 team. Here's how that's happened. District 9 champion Clarion did its part on Monday, beating District 5 champion Southern Fulton by a score of 3 to nothing. And then yesterday, D9 runner-up and defending PIAA champion Dubois Central Catholic earned its spot by defeating District 1 champ Doc Mennonite by a score of 4 to 2. Aiden Snowberger pitched his second consecutive complete game for the Cardinals. DCC had grabbed an early 4-0 lead and then held on in the final two innings to advance to the championship game. The Dubois Central Catholic Clarion matchup is going to be played at 10.30 Thursday morning in State College. The two teams have already met twice this season and they have split. This time, the team that wins, wins the PIAA Class 1A Championship. Good luck to both teams. That's the Connect FM local youth sports beat for this week. It's sponsored by Wise Eyes at the Dubois Commons and Dr. Greg Lineski. What's your call? This is Under Review on Connect FM. You can call Bob, Dave, and Dave at 814-372-1420. Join the chat on their Facebook page by searching under review sports welcome back to under review um in this segment we're going to talk a little bit about the stanley cup and of course the passing of stan savern d just had to go he was talking about those taylor swift concert tickets uh, and how much they're going for man i talked to a friend um from vegas yesterday i was texting him he's he's a fan and i said are you going to the game you know tonight and 
He said he just couldn't pull the trigger. He said he originally could have got tickets for $600. He just hesitated, and the next time he looked, they were $1,000 just for standing room only. He couldn't do it. I understand that. I wouldn't spend that kind of money either. Uh, you know, I, At one point, I was a season ticket holder, so I was fortunate enough to go to some finals games with the Penguins. But I got the season ticket holder rate. I would never have paid the aftermarket rate. But uh, you know, we, we talk about the Stanley Cup. I, hey, kudos to them. I mean... They really, really took care of business against Florida, and there were only about, I would say, a grand total of about 20 minutes of playtime when I really thought that Florida was able to stand toe-to-toe with them. I thought they started the game well, Florida, and oh, Aiden yeah. Hill made some nice saves, but as soon as they scored that shorty, the Vegas, the, the game just flipped. And, and, and this, uh, this will go back. This will take you back. 2016 Penguins home game, game five, had a chance to close it out. Huge crowd outside, and I was there that night, and... The Penguins were overwhelmed by the moment, and they got themselves in a huge hole, if you remember that. Now, they tried to dig out. They didn't quite make it. I told my son, Jeremiah, we were watching. I said, if Vegas survives the first 10 minutes of this game, they're going to win. And they, they did. They, they weren't good in the first 10 minutes, but they survived. And when they scored that goal, I'm like, man, Florida's in trouble now because Kachuk was out. You know, Bobrovsky had kind of come back to earth a little bit. They, they just – the the clock struck midnight. We've seen, we've talked about this before, and we've seen this before. These eight seeds, these lower tier teams that get hot in the playoffs. It doesn't seem like you can put a round or two rounds, maybe even three, but that fourth round is where they just seem to always fall short. Now there are some hockey fans that are a little bit bitter today because they don't think that Vegas kind of paid their dues. You know, they some teams have been wallowing, you know, for decades, haven't won a cup, haven't even been to a cup final. Vegas does it in six years, so um, some say the expansion draft was too favorable. I want to get your take on that, Dave. It was favorable. I mean, I thought it was too favorable, but I also say that every league owner voted for that, and they took the $500 million that was the entry fee under those conditions. And then the GMs, and I was talking to Jeremiah about this today, the GMs basically gave away the farm to Vegas in that first year. Remember, we gave them a draft pick for the right to take Fleury as opposed to oh, Murray, yeah. and teams were just giving talent to them and, and, and trying to save other talent. And, and they learned from that, and they didn't give Seattle quite that much talent, but if they would have won the cup their first year, and remember, they came close, they made the final, I would have said, wow, that's crazy. No expansion team should do that. But they went through some hard times after that. They, they missed the playoffs, I think, just last year. Yeah, absolutely. So I can't say they didn't pay their dues because they, they've rebuilt half that or three-quarters of that team since that 18 season, and they made some fantastic – getting Jack Eichel when his value was low, they don't win the cup if they don't make that move. Yeah, only six of the original players that they drafted in the expansion draft are on the team. One of them was Jonathan so who won the uh, Conn Smythe last night. Personally, I think it's great. I mean, they're an exciting team. They're a destination city. You know, some people think that hockey in the desert won't work. Well, it works in Vegas. Yeah, and 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 because they were so successful so early, they've built that, they've locked in that fan base. You saw last night that this wasn't a bunch of tourists just hanging around. That's the thing I always hear about Vegas. Oh, you're not going to get a fan base because people are so, it's a small market. Blah, blah. Okay, I saw the outside of that arena. Those people are fans for life. Unless you do something to really screw that up, like the Oakland A's are doing, we'll talk about that some other week, you, that's a whole generation of people like us with the Penguins who are always going to remember. We remember that night in 16, you know, in 17, and even back to 09. It's like, oh, that was so magic. And these people are going to remember, you know, in June of 23 when this team finally did it. Um, 
Uh, no, I think it's a win for the league. I, I understand the Toronto people are probably bitter, but you know what? Uh, they kind of make their own problems up there <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing. They did rework the team. They took some bold chances. They they made some big trades, Mark Stone, you know, and, and Eichel. Yeah, and, and their goaltending issue. I mean, they, they went away from Flurry. They went away from Laner. They went to kind of two unknown goalies, and it, and it paid off. And that kind of gets back to, yes, you have to have a good plan, and you have to be smart, a smart front office, but you have to get lucky. Come on, nobody saw Aiden Hill coming. Nobody. And if you don't get good goaltending, we've talked about this every single time we talk about the NHL. If you don't get good goaltending, the rest of it doesn't really matter. We as Penguins fans know that only too well. So, yeah, I, good for them. Um, it, it, it's a win for the league. Uh, really, that's that's really the best, best I can say about it. Well, switching gears now to a sadder topic. Dave, you broke the news to us uh, in our text thread on Monday that Stan Saverin, the legendary broadcaster in Pittsburgh, passed away at the age of 76. Um, even though, you know, I think we all knew he was in bad health. I didn't know that he was that bad. I, mean, I knew he'd lost his foot. Um, but, you know, even hearing that, you know, it, it made me feel like I lost somebody I, I, I knew personally. I never knew Stan Savern. I never met him. But for a lot of us listening to him all those years, it did feel like we knew him. And, and I, did, I met him one time and, I'm you know, it was a very brief hello, how you doing kind of thing in a hallway. And but what he brought is something that it brought me to do what we're doing here. I'm not at all interested in the shock jock, you know, try to say the biggest hot take crazy thing to get more ratings. And Stan and Guy never did that. They always played it straight. And I listened to all kinds of tributes last night. The Pirates were on rain delay and they talked to Guy and, and I heard some, you know, Bob Walk talked about it and some other people. They always played it straight. They always were fair. That's the words you heard. Two things about Stan you always heard. He was kind and he was fair. He wasn't afraid to criticize, but he always had good reason for it. And even when the players maybe didn't like it, they'd say, well, I can understand where he's coming from. And he never came off as somebody who was a shill for management or a shill for the players, you know? And he he was just, in his heart and soul, he was a fan. He got it. He knew, he wanted to, have, he loved talking to people. You know, and that's the thing I heard so much. I know people who would have going conversations with him on the radio, like week after week. I know a guy in Pittsburgh, Tim Baker, who did this all the time. And Stan loved that stuff. And you can't fake that. Yeah, I don't think he was ever too big for anybody. It never yeah. got went to his head. He just loved sports and he loved to talk sports. Uh, some people say he would have probably died in his chair, you know, if he if he could have. And he almost did. I mean, he was doing his show up until, what, April? Right. And before that, Guy Junker told this story last night that he was having problems breathing. And the doctor's like, oh, you know, this was years ago. And he said, man, you need need a uh, a bypass surgery. And this was in like, I want to say October or November. I can't remember exactly what Guy said. And and Stan said, okay, I understand. Can can we do this after the the Steeler season? You know, I've got a lot to talk about. And he's like, uh, Stan, you need to do this by the end of the week, you know? So <laughs> yeah. Stan, absolutely. All he cared about was getting back on the air and having those conversations and, and, and we will not see his like again. And I heard him say that he had eight bypasses, which yeah, is I think crazy. That's right. yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, one of our friends who listens to the show, Ryan Morrison said, uh, this about Stan. He said, me and my friend went to a pirates game at three Rivers stadium. It was one of the in the stadium's final years, we were younger. We got into the Allegheny Club, which was a big, you know, it they was, thought they yeah. were a big deal. Uh, and one of the first people they saw was Stan Savern. And he said, hey, guys, 
they were fans of the show ever right right from there you know he wasn't too big for them and and, and if for people of a certain age and i'll say at my age like 48 that 45 to 55 age this you know if you say, say stan guy love the show everybody knows what that is it was sports beat back in you know that he and guy junker had and that's really what kind of launched him into pittsburgh fame unfortunately that's that show went away but those two became lifelong friends and and guy talked about that a lot last night i know you've got i think something to share yeah with i us. was going to share uh, as we go to the break um we're going to be talking to jerry dulac here in just a couple of minutes uh we'll ask him his memories of stan too because he used to be a, a guest on this show but in the meantime as we go to break i want to play a clip to you guys uh this is stan talking back in 2009 after sports beat was taken off the air and then we'll go to break that was an 18 year run this these are his words then they kind of apply today i feel badly that i won't be able to talk with you nightly to share our thoughts and opinions to share in the utter devastation of a francisco cabrera single or the unbridled hysterical joy of a santonio holmes catch or a Sidney crosby goal where but here could pittsburgh sports nation meet to open our hearts and minds for all to see I'm reminded of the last sentence in Jim Bouton's book, Ball Four, when he says, I spent my entire life gripping a baseball only to realize it was the other way around. I'm Dan Kennard with a Connect FM local news update. Here's what's happening. Several road maintenance projects continue this week in Clearfield County. PennDOT says to use extra caution in work areas and be aware that project crews could be working at any time of the day or night. Some of the projects to watch for this week include the improvements on Route 255 in Dubois at the intersection of the Beeline Highway and Division Street. Road patching work on the eastbound and westbound lanes of Interstate 80 between mile markers 120 and 133, and ditch cleaning along Route 4014 between Dubois and Rockton. And the 2023 Laurel Festival continues in downtown Brookville this week. This evening's schedule features a historic walking tour and also this year's Relay for Life. The Jefferson County Historical Society presents the walking tour starting at 5.30 with David Taylor serving as the tour guide. Here's your Connect FM Tri-County forecast. Mainly clear skies tonight with lows around 48. Westerly winds 8 to 15 miles per hour. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow. Slight chance for isolated storms. High temperatures reach up to 74. Scattered thunderstorms likely tomorrow night. Lows around 54. Cloudy skies. That's your Tri-County forecast throughout the hour, throughout your busy day on Connect FM. Currently, it's 62. Honey, I'm home. How'd shopping go? Great. Look at this handcrafted jewelry and designs by Flying L Beadworks. But... This book from Claire Kreiner, a local author, and these cool, high-quality vinyl stickers that are dishwasher safe. But... They're great for water bottles. Honey! What? Did you go to Dubois Feeds? Where do you think I got all this cool stuff? Oh, the pet food and birdseed is in the trunk. Dubois Feeds, home of From Pet Food and so much more. With curbside and drive through at West Dubois Avenue. For 26 years, Dubois Feeds. What's your call? This is Under Review on Connect FM. You can call Bob, Dave, and Dave at 814-372-1420. Join the chat on their Facebook page by searching Under Review Sports. And we're back. We're pleased to um, 
bring on another guest with us, Jerry Dulac, a sports writer at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the host of the golf show on ESPN Radio. Jerry, thanks for joining us. How are you? Yeah, Bob, I am fine and uh, nice to chat with you again. It's nice to have you on. Before we talk a little golf with you, we were just reminiscing a little bit about Stan Savern, how we had never met him, obviously. Well, Dave actually did meet him one time, but we didn't know him. We know that you were a regular guest on that show, though, and uh, we're just wondering what your take is and what stood out to you about Stan. Yeah, Stan, um, you know, I've known Stan a long time, and for the last number of years, uh, even going back to when I was uh, a, a weekly regular on Fox Sports Net Pittsburgh on TV, um, you know, I've done uh, on many, many shows with him, and during the during this football season and even beyond, um, I'm basically on every Wednesday with him uh, on his weekday show. So, you know, and I see him at the at the Steeler games, and uh, yeah, Stan was, uh, you know, a true professional, a warrior. Worked hard, boy. Always prepared. Um, you know, when he's watching games at home, he's taking notes. Uh, as knowledgeable and as passionate about sports as anybody I've ever met uh, in the business, for sure. And um, yeah, I, I, just a you know, and a really great guy. I treated everybody with respect. I haven't heard one person. I never did say a bad word about him. And and every. Every eulogy he receives uh, on Twitter or social media, uh, all you can tell the respect that Stan showed them, and they're all aware of it and appreciative of it. We'll, we'll certainly miss him, and, and sorry for your loss too, Jerry. Um, switching now to, to golf, last week we were pretty much shocked to hear that uh, you know the PGA Tour and, and Live Golf had had you know merged basically and and i just wanted to get what what was your initial reaction to that news well my initial reaction was like like most people uh totally shocked uh, stunned um you know the, i i i i kind of made the joke it's the most stunning news to hit uh, the golf world since tiger's marital infidelity i mean everybody was not only talking about it everybody and i mean everybody was blindsided by it. nobody but nobody saw that coming. And uh, it really was. And I think what happened early on, Bob, was the the way it was phrased, that this merger between the three team, uh, uh, tours, and it's really not a merger, it's a partnership. But the idea that it was a merger, I mean, that was, uh, you know, partnership or merger, that's shocking enough. But to think that it was a merger, now people are thinking, what are they going to do, combine the tours? Well, we have since learned that that is not the case. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I don't think there's any question. It started as a bad look for the tour PGA tour. And while some of that has dissipated, uh, it remains a bad look for the tour. The PGA tour is the greatest tour in the world always has been, and would, would appear to be in a position of power. And for that tour to partner with the tour that had no tele, basically no television, no big sponsors, uh, no world ranking points. It's just stunning to people why they would do it. And why did they do it? Well, the simple explanation is easy, uh, money. And and what happened is they no longer wanted to fight uh, the live tour in court. All the litigation and pending lawsuits all disappears with this partnership. And, um, and that's what the tour wanted because they don't have the pockets deep enough to keep fighting what the, what the uh, public investment fund, the Saudis, 
uh, can match them with. So they didn't want to do that. And I think the irony in the whole thing, Bob, is that where they got, I'm not going to sit here and say they're, they're, they're financially strapped, but what also does not help them is all the, uh, the, the purses that they've had to increase, basically double them, go to their sponsors, want more money. And the reason they did it is because of the live tour. And, and so th- that's the irony in the whole thing. And so now the tour, the enemy that created, if you will, that created this uh, financial boom for the PGA Tour players, um, you know, is, it's the same people that they're now jumping in bed with and, and asking, uh, you know, for their money with a capital investment. So, you know, it's just a strange, strange turn of events. We'll see how the whole thing plays out. But until I hear from the other side, until I hear from what the Saudis expect out of this deal, I'll wait and see. It sounds the PGA Tour is putting a really a positive spin. How is win-win for them? But we'll see. I think I'll wait until I hear from the other side. Well, I, and I respect the fact that you want to wait until you you know make make final judgment. But can you can you comment on whether you think Jay Monahan's going to survive this? I mean, I, if I was a PGA Tour player who took a stand against this, only to have the rug kind of pulled out from under me, you know, such as Rory McIlroy is a good example. How, how can you support that when you were comp- – and I understand to an extent why the players were kept in the dark because a deal like that can't be made if it's out in the public, but really they have to feel a little bit betrayed, don't they? Well, there's no question about it. And Rory McIlroy, prime example, he said, he, he, you know, um, he felt that, uh, you know, he was a sacrificial lamb. He was being led to slaughter by the very guy that he was supporting. And, yeah, there's no question about it. And um, um, I, I think I, I think he's going to have – Jay Monahan is going to have a hard time uh, surviving this. I have said from the beginning, I don't know what Jay Monahan was supposed to do. I don't know. There's no handbook for it. I don't know what he was supposed to do. But whatever he did, he mishandled it because it just got worse and worse as they kept going. And, again, uh, you know, increasing the purses, you know, offering this uh, money, this this PIP program, which they had already instituted, but finding ways to pay these players. And I get it. They wanted to stop the invasion by the Live Tour. That's why they did all this, because they couldn't afford to keep losing uh, their players. Uh, especially their star players. And so that's why they had to do something to counter. But the way he handled it with the suspension and, and banning players instantly, that he could have done differently. And, um, but from the beginning, the whole thing to me was mishandled. Again, not exactly sure what he was supposed to do. Well, do you, looking ahead, and, and again, we don't, you, you're right, we haven't heard from the live side really at all, but if you, let's put you in that in that seat and and you're Jay Monahan and you're and you're on in charge of this do you let those players just come back in do you give them some kind of a a separate path to get back in or do you do it on a case by case basis well there look there's no question that if if they didn't allow them in at some point and the live tour they disbanded or whatever then there's no question there would be another lawsuit and even more litigation because now it's an antitrust violation. You are prohibiting these guys from earning a living living when they are qualified to be on tour. And that's the very thing they want to avoid. So when Jay Monahan said there's a pathway for those to come back, absolutely they will be. And keep this in mind. They are getting this huge capital investment from the public investment fund. And do you think for one second with this investment they're making that they are not going to tell them, look, this is what we want or our players want to come back 
and we're paying all this money, don't think for one second that they're not going to have a say in how those players get back to the PGA Tour or the or the European Tour. And so that's why I say, well, I'll wait till I hear uh, from the other side. But yes, I do believe that those guys will be back. I've always thought that. I don't know how and when, but they will at some point. And and yeah, that's going to cause a little bit more uh, acrimony, uh, especially from the guys. But a lot of that. You know, some of these guys never received an offer, and they see him leaving, and they go, okay, you want to leave? Then don't ask to come back. But some of that might be rooted in a little bit of jealousy that some of those guys never got an offer to begin with. Jerry, um, just real quick here, and I know you, we only have a minute or two left with you here, but this is the first time the L.A. Country Club has hosted a professional golf tournament since 1940, I was saying. What kind of test will this course present uh, to the players in the U.S. Open this weekend, and, and do you have a favorite? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing it, Bob, because, um, uh, you know, uh, George Thomas is the architect, also divine, designed Riviera and Bel Air, and, um, you know, I've played both of those. I've never played L.A. North, um, but it, it looks tremendous. Um, I think the rough is going to be terribly, terribly nasty. And they have some. They have a really cool collection of holes: 290 par threes, 90 yard par threes, and a 78 yard par three. And uh, you know, and it starts with a par five, just like Riviera, a nice soft opening hole. Um, I don't think they're going to eat it up, but I I don't think it's going to be uh, you know uh, three, four, five under par wins. I think it's going to push double digits who wins. But I think I think it's going to be a really uh, unique, interesting uh, uh, layout and and cool to watch. And do you have a favorite? Yeah, I like Victor Hovland. I mean, look, it's easy to pick Brooks Kepka. How could you not? I mean, what he's done in both majors. I mean, he's the best big-time player uh, out there. Scotty Scheffler, if he could even putt, he'll win by 10 as well as he's been playing, but he hasn't been able to put the ball in the hole. And look, John Rahm, you can't discount him. Those three, it's easy to pick any one of those three. Um, but um, I, Victor Hovland, you look at his last three majors, you know, his seventh, fourth, and second, and uh, he's he's ready to kick that door in, and that's my pick. All right, Jerry. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy the tournament this weekend. All right, Bob. It's good uh, chatting with you. And when we return, we'll uh, talk a little bit about the Andrew McCutcheon 2000th hit, and uh, we'll get lost here on Under Review. So stay with us for one more segment. Carlson Auto Repair is a locally family-owned and operated business that serves you, their customer, like you're one of the family. Carlson Auto Repair genuinely cares about the folks who come to see them for mechanical and auto body work. They don't do anything that isn't needed, and they do the repairs at an affordable rate. If you need auto repair inspections or collision work, get it done right and reasonably at Carlson Auto Repair, where they know you and they know your vehicle. 100 East Park Avenue, Dubois. Smith Timbering and Consultants are experts at tree management and are looking for an energetic, reliable individual to join their team. They currently have an excellent opportunity for a full-time forestry technician to buy, mark, and cruise standing timber. They offer competitive pay with bonus incentives, health incentives, health insurance, and company vehicle. Associate's degree or higher in forestry required. Please email your resume or questions to Wes at smithtimbering.com. That's Wes at smithtimbering.com. 
Are you thinking about a home improvement project? Your brother-in-law means well by offering to give it a try. You got people who will say, well, we can do this or we can do that. And then you get to the job and you, you discover that well, they really can't do it. What do you need done? Siding, windows, roofing, patio porch enclosures, doors, retractable awnings, kitchens, bathrooms, flooring. Ask Rudy Labraska from Quality Builders and Remodelers. We're a home improvement company. Let Rudy have a look at your house and suggest options. When it's hammer time, you'll be impressed. You want to find somebody that can do the job and get in and get out. If you're even thinking about a new project, pick Rudy's brain. No charge. We started in 1978, so many of the people that I work for today, I've done fathers and grandparents, and now the kids are having their own houses. Through the years, a lot of different times, uh, I've done different projects for them. Drop by Quality Builders Kiosk at Dubois Mall near the main entrance between Ross and Big Lots. QualityBuildersAndRemodelers.com Now, let's go back to Under Review on Connect FM. Here again, Bob Anderson, Dave Glass, and Dave Herzing. been a fun hour dave we have just a little bit of time left and we couldn't go by without talking about andrew mccutcheon who recorded his 2000th hit on sunday he is the 291st player and fifth active player to reach that milestone milestone uh he was patient during the home stretch i think there were nine games and of course we hope that he would get it during his home home stand um he drew a lot of walks in that time leading up to the hit but he finally got it First hit of the game that night, that day, and the last game of the homestand. So how special do you think this milestone is, Dave? Oh, I think it's really special all the way around. I mean, he's a fan favorite. Um, obviously, he's got deep roots in the Western PA area. We all know about that. I think it meant a lot. He said it meant a lot for him to do it at home. I'm sure that's true. He didn't have to come back here. You know, he made a choice to come back here. And uh, that stuff, I think, really means something. It means something to me. It means something to the fans. And he didn't just come back and 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 on a kind of a victory lap, he's actually been a, a good player. I mean, I'm not sure why he isn't playing any defense. He's been DH the whole year. But he, he's, he's like you said, he's taking his walks. He's, he's hitting for some power and, uh, you know, good for him. And, you know, he's one of these players that if he had just a little bit more peak, you'd be talking about Hall of Fame. I just don't know that he's quite there, but he's probably going to make maybe the Pirates um, Hall of Fame. I think that's almost a given. Well, one thing for sure, the fans sure love him oh, here, uh, and it's great to see him back in a Pirates uniform. Uh, I saw one tweet. There have been 22,960 players to play Major League Baseball. Only 291 have reached 2,000 career hits. That's 1.3% of all those that have ever played. Oh, it's crazy how good he's been. So it's time to get lost. Uh, if Dee's listening, we know this is his favorite segment. Before we do that, you can follow us. We have a new Twitter page, at UnderReviewFM, if you want to follow us there. Of course, we have our Facebook page that you can follow, too. Just search UnderReview. But uh, I'll get lost here first. Hashtag get lost to the security guard that took out golfer Adam Hadwin at the Canadian Open. I don't know if you saw that or no, not. No, I did Oh, man, it was a heck of a hit. The Steelers probably should sign this guy. And how about that 72-foot putt by Nick Taylor to win the tournament? That was amazing. Uh, you know, I'm sure that the uh, his opponent was saying hashtag get lost, but but I saw the, cra- the crowd just went nuts with that. Um, I'm going to go back to hockey as much as I, I'm happy about, you know, Vegas winning, and, 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 and I thought that that whole thing was good for the world of hockey. What was not good for the world of hockey was the brawl that broke out at the end of Game 4. Game was over. Um, the horn had sounded, the whistle had blown, and then 
for whatever reason, a couple players decided that was a great time to get into a fight, and the whole, basically everybody on the ice was brawling, and that is bad for hockey, and they should have been suspended for that. Yeah, and I mean, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Matthew Kachuk took a heck of a hit in Game Three, and and apparently was playing with a broken sternum. Couldn't play last night though. I didn't. I, is that what it was? I yeah. didn't hear what they, they said the injury was. Well, I hope he recovers. Yeah, and there was some other news that came out about injuries. Hockey players are just amazing with that playing through tough injuries. But uh, anyhow, we appreciate you joining us here for the hour. We'll be back next week as we continue under review. Thanks a lot. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the U.S. Open.